seated. Uh, and uh, let's open our Bibles, please, to uh, a very familiar place, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Beginning next Sunday, we'll be talking for the whole month of December about Christmas things. So we'll kind of put the book of Ephesians on pause for a while. After the first of the year, we'll uh, take it off pause and because there's so many wonderful things in the end part of it uh, that uh, I know you'll enjoy. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, page 788 uh, in that red Bible in front of you. Uh, this is kind of the second part of what we were talking about last week, the power to change. I think most people would admit that they do need change in their life, but... Uh, Many people do not know how to make that change happen, and, but that's what the Bible is about. That's why God gave us his word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul tells this church, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. If your Bible has the word Gentiles in there, write the word world in there. Because we don't use that language today. You know, back in that world, the world was broken down only into two divisions, Jews and the rest of the world, called Gentiles. Today we have uh, every sort of designation, nationality known to man, don't we, that we use. That's, our, that's the way we do it. And so in order to get, I think, the, the meaning for us today, if you put the word world in there, it'll work for you. Don't walk as the rest of the world walks in the futility of their mind. What Paul is saying here to the Gentiles, the world, the world doesn't think right. They're not thinking right. Whenever you come over onto the side of Christ and you look back at where you were, you ask yourself, why does the world think like that? Why are people thinking like that? The Bible says here they don't think right. Verse 18. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They just don't know any better. That's what he says. Why do they think the way they think? They just don't know any better. They haven't learned yet how they're supposed to think. And if you don't have a teacher, how can you learn? Uh, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart or the hardness of their heart. We look out at the world today and we say, boy, the world doesn't think right. Their heart is so hardened. What's wrong with them? Well, here the Bible gives us the answer. Uh, they just don't understand. They have never been taught. That's the job of the church. The job of the church in the world uh, is not to always throw stones at the world and tell everybody how bad the world is. But the job of the church is to go out and inform the world about the things of God. Wake up the world. That's what God called Paul to do. He said, listen, the world is asleep out there. You've got to go wake them up. You've got to go give them something to think about. That's the job of the church. The job of the church is to give people something to think about, an opportunity to say yes or no to the claims of Christ. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. These people don't have any feelings. Why are they so hard? Given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. And don't those two words kind of encapsulize our world today? They are unclean, to be sure, and they are greedy, to be sure. Verse 20, 
but you have not so learned Christ. Remember last week, for those of you who are here, whenever I come to verse number 20, I visualize my mother looking at me, pointing her finger and saying, Johnny, you know better. Uh, we know better. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 20. To the Ephesians, you've been taught better than this. Uh, he says, in effect, I don't want you to go back there. Uh, you used to live there. Don't start living there again. Uh, put off the old life. Let's look at uh, verse 21 and verse 22. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former lifestyle or conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, put off the old life. Don't bring it into the church. The church is a new community. Now, to be sure, the church is supposed to have its doors wide open for people with all sorts of problems, all sorts of issues. Uh, but uh, we're to recognize, listen, there is to be a marked difference, isn't there, between the conduct of the church and the conduct of the world. And, uh, and, and the conduct of the church is supposed to be a magnet that draws people to a higher lifestyle. And so uh, here... He says, put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in your mind. Put off the old life. The old life grows deeper and deeper into sin. And he says, listen, I want you to stamp it out in your life. Now, here we have a bridge in verse 21, the way out. How do we transition between the old life and the new life? Uh, I, this, is, this is the way right here. Look at it, verse 21. Uh, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Uh, verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? Uh, it means have a renewed new attitude. Remember Philippians 2.5 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we get on the divine channel? Well, we get on the divine channel when we open our heart to Christ and God sends his Holy Spirit to live in our heart and we start thinking differently. And do you remember the day you were saved, the conversion experience? Do you remember the next day? You thought differently already, didn't you? You went out and you said, wow, I, I see the world through a new, a new lens. Uh, I see the world through a new perspective. Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, a life renewed from the inside. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. Uh, let's look at that and let's read this together, okay? A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Boy, this is really good right here. Uh, the goal of, of God in your life is to the last part. Reproduce the character of Christ in you. Now, I don't, know what the, I don't know what reaction you have to that, but that is an incredible thought. That is incredible. God is working on you to change who you are into who he wants you to be, and that's a person like Christ. But the Bible here gives us a clue. A life renewed from where? The inside. Uh, you know, people come to church for years and, and they, uh, 
they fit in. They look around the church and they guess they say, boy, I better shape up. I better start looking the part if I'm going to be a church person. And they do it through religious peer pressure. They do it through oftentimes the intimidation of the church. Church is so powerful. It just overruns a person. And they say, okay, I'll surrender. If, I, if I'm going to be a part of that church, I've got to live like this. Oh, heck. Uh, it's not a change from the inside. It's not their change. It's someone else's change. Uh, the Bible says the person has to change on the inside. What is that? Uh, it's repentance. That's the word, the lost word. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Uh, let's say that together. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Repentance is turning from sin toward God. You know, the thing that prompts us to turn away from sin is usually its consequences. Um, Oh, I got caught. Guess I can't do that anymore. Or, I'm afraid I'm going to get caught. And so I better quit this before I get caught. Uh, the thing that causes a person to change in life is the consequences. Uh, turning away from sometimes things that we really love. Uh, Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why do we have people, why do people balk against repentance? Listen, they just basically love their wicked life. They love their, their friends that are going the wrong direction. They love to go to the places that their friends go that are going to the wrong direction. And they're willing to let go of it and repent and turn around and go toward God. Uh, listen to this. Matthew 3, 2, when John the Baptist came on the scene preaching, you know what he preached? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That means get right with God. And you know, when Jesus came on the scene, Matthew 4, 17, you know what he said? The same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's interesting in the Bible that we have uh, throughout the Scripture so many times that this thing called repentance is mentioned. Acts 26, 20 says uh, that Paul was declaring in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works Befitting repentance. Repent, that means turn away from your evil lifestyle. And turn to God and then serve God with the rest of your life. That's what, what it means. Repent, turn to God, have faith in God. And then start serving the Lord. Hebrews 6.1 says the very same thing. Repentance from works that lead to death and faith toward God. Uh, repentance is important. That's the turning port. How can we shake off the old life and put on the new life? We need the knowledge of the Word of God. You know, where there is no knowledge, there isn't any conviction. You know, they have these programs in public schools where they take the kids uh, to a jail or a prison. I think they call it scared straight. And uh, they say, they take the kids and the kids that need it and say, listen, we want to take you on a tour. And it's not a happy place, this tour. And after it's over, they said, now listen, if you keep living like this, this is where you're going to land up. Uh, those kids says, man, I never knew that. I never knew that that was in front of me. That was in store. Well, let me say that uh, the Bible, whenever you really read the Bible in its fullest context, you have to understand that the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look at this. The wages of sin is death. What does that mean? That means, first of all, physical death. You and I have an appointment that we cannot break. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to what? Die. But after that, the judgment. Every single person I know is going to have a funeral one of these days in their home. We're dying physically, aren't we? Some of you feel like you're half dead now, don't you? We won't go there right now this morning. Physical death. But listen to this. What what does the word death mean in Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death. It means separation from God forever in hell. That's what it means. And so that means that we're dying now physically. We're already dead spiritually without Christ. And if we continue in that condition, we have to pay for our sins. And the payment is not a slap on the wrist. A payment, the payment of our sins is hell forever. You know, we take that, you know, that we take the most favorite verse in the Bible, it's John 3:16. Will you quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we focus on everlasting life. God says, listen, I'm going to give them everlasting life because they're perishing. They're perishing without me. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. I think we have. But what's the last line? But after this, the judgment. That means that we have to pay for our sins. We don't get off. Judgment is coming. You know, what is the... uh, the condition. Uh, 23, 23 times in the New Testament, the word hell is used. I'd like to ask you this this morning because we have a few minutes to turn over to Luke chapter 16 with me. Okay? Luke chapter 16. Uh, I came into church this morning and I always report to Matt Pettigrew. In our church, there's a chain of command. God, Matt Pettigrew. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Matt Pettigrew. In that order. Matt sits back here in the, in the office. I come in, I report to him. Reporting for duty. He always says this, heavy duty, light duty, and I say medium. He said, uh, you're going to preach on hell today? He asked me that every other Sunday. That's, that's what the older Christians think about because you never hear anything about it anymore, do you? And I said, yeah, he got so happy. I thought he was going to do a dance. Luke chapter 16, verse 23. There's the story of these two people. Uh, verse 20 says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Here's a beggar, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died. And look at this. And was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That's heaven. Heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And he being in torments in hell or Hades. Lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. It didn't say. And these are the words of Jesus in my Bible in red letters. 
Jesus said, listen, there's this person who died and he went to hell and he's being tormented there. And look at verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. You've heard that hell is hot. According to this story, it is. Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am what? Tormented in this flame. Wow. And the story goes on. It's a very interesting story. I encourage you to read it all. Uh, The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, oftentimes when we think about salvation, somebody says, well, what is the condition of salvation? And, of course, the answer to that is faith. We have these two words in the Bible, repentance and faith. Actually, they work like synonyms. You can't have true faith in God without true repentance, without true repentance from sin. And you can't have true repentance from sin without having true faith in God. Uh, They're like uh, a coin. On one side is repentance, on one side is faith. When you read about faith in God, read the word repentance in there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, I think puts the whole package together. Look up here. Let's read it. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. First of all, let's go through it. They turned to God from their idols. They didn't take God over into their idols, or they didn't take their idols over into God. They saw God, and they said, listen, we're leaving our idols, and then we're going to be serving the Lord with the rest of our life. That's the total package right there. Uh, I'm turning to God from my idols. Uh, This is the way out, the bridge over which we travel. Uh, whenever, the, whenever we read the Bible, we understand that, that we are separated from God. The wages of sin. You know, God doesn't take sin lightly. And I know that there are many people that you know in the world, and you would say, listen, that's the best person I know. I did a little thing one time, and I figured it out this way. If a person only committed three sins, uh, three sins a day, at the end of the year, they've got a thousand sins on their account. Now, listen, I do that before I get out of bed, usually. If a person only commits three sins a day, they have a thousand sins on their account. If they live 70 years, they have 70,000 sins on their account. And they're the best person in the town. Do you think God is going to turn his back and say, listen, everything's okay? No, he's going to keep his word. And the reason why we gather together in a church is because we respect the word of God. Amen? We believe that when he says it, he means it. I mean, when he says it, you can count on it. And so, uh, but there are people all over and they say, you know, I haven't sinned very much. Well, listen, the first commandment says what? You shall have no other what? God's before him. Wow. There are people in our world, they never give God a thought. Commandment number one. Commandment number two, you shall not make unto yourself any graven image or bow down and worship that image. 
Our world, our world is full of images. The image of job, the image of our hobbies, the images of our goals. The world bows down to them. Check number two. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. Well, that's heavy, isn't it? Income tax time. <laughs> on and on it goes, down the list. The world has... I shouldn't have gone there, should I, this morning? I mean, you look... You were, doing, you were right with me until that, and it's like your whole world's caving in right now. Okay. And so, and so God says, listen, the world has sinned. They have to pay for that. That's the bad news. The church has to be a church, and you have to be a friend to your friends to have the courage to tell them the bad news. Because the good news doesn't make any sense without the bad news. Why would we tell the world that the Savior is coming? They need a Savior if they don't even know they're lost. No one needs a Savior unless they're lost. No one needs a shepherd unless they're lost. And so when we make a friend, we have to build up the courage and say, Hey, listen, you're lost. And what? Yeah, you're lost. That takes courage. It really does. To tell them, listen, you have a spiritual need, and, the, and your need is you've broken the law of God, and you have to pay for it. If you know somebody that you care about, you ought to run out of this church today, and you need to tell them, listen, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but I'm a good enough friend to be able to tell you this, that unless you change your ways, unless you turn to God for forgiveness, you're going to hell. That's the best friend in all the world that you could have. And, you know, that takes courage to do that. But, you know, a person has to understand that before they come to Christ. Because Christ is there. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is this, is God sent his son on a rescue mission to come into the world to pay the penalty that you owe to God. And so when uh, Jesus came into the world... He died upon the cross physically, didn't he? In six hours, he was dead. The wages of sin is death. And who did he do it for? He did it for me and for you. But in a sense, he also died spiritually because remember when he was dying on the cross, he said, my God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? God, in some mysterious way, turned his back on his son and was separated in a way that we can't understand. He paid the complete price for my sin on the cross. Wow. Hallelujah. I don't have to pay. I can get off. But it's not enough to know that story. We have to embrace that story. It's not enough to say, oh, I know the story of the gospel. I know about Christ. We have to embrace. We have to turn to God and run to Him because the Bible says this. To as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. And so, if you're here today and you're trying your best to clean up your life so that you can be presentable to God, listen, save your time. You can't do that. 
There's only one person who can clean up your life. And that's the forgiveness of God Almighty through Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today to turn your back on everything that's keeping you away from God. Your sin. The things you like to do so much. Your sinful lifestyle. Turn your back on that and run to Jesus. And he will embrace you and ask for his forgiveness. And he will give you a life worth living. And he will forgive you of your sins if you turn and come to him and throw yourself at his mercy and accept his forgiveness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've, uh, you realize that you've sinned against an almighty God one of these days. You're heading for judgment, really. And you, you're here today and you're saying, you know, this makes me feel uncomfortable. That's what it's supposed to make you feel. Uh, that's a good thing. God is trying to get your attention. Because, see, if you don't know the truth, if you don't know the truth, you just continue living the lifestyle, breaking the commands of God with no forgiveness, no victory. Uh, the end for you, according to the words of Jesus, is hell. But the good news is you don't have to go there. Jesus did everything in the world to make it possible for you to be forgiven and go to heaven. But you have to embrace him and turn away from that lifestyle that, that leads to hell. I guarantee you, if you'll do that, Christ will come to you and he'll forgive you. He'll come into your heart and save you. You'll be a new person. You won't miss the old lifestyle. You won't want to go back there because he'll give you something brand new. As we conclude our service today, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, right there in your pew, I implore you. I urge you. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm turning away from the things that are destroying my life. And I'm running to you today to embrace your forgiveness. Ask him, say, Lord, forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart. I embrace you as my Savior. I can't save myself. Thank you, God, for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Lord, it's my desire to serve you now. I'll be your servant. Dear Lord, as we uh, come to the end of our service, I pray that you'll move among us, Lord, today. If there are people in our church who just would like to come and kneel here at the altar and pray for a friend. For courage to go tell their friend the truth. I just pray that you'll give us that courage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing to the Lord. If you'd like to come and pray, you can come right up here and kneel at the front, on the front pew. If you'd like to pray for yourself or a friend, come now as we sing.
and the Lord's people said. You know, I was just thinking about the church. The church is not a first aid station. Kind of put a band-aid on things that bother us. The church is a major surgery place. It's where people get heart transplants. And we need to all keep that in mind. Uh, I'm sure we have an announcement. We do. Um, as uh, Kenny mentioned earlier in the service, we are pretty much sold 